Season two of Have You Got Five Minutes is brought to you in partnership with Nextdoor, the neighbourhood app that's used by one in seven households in the UK. This past 18 months, we've all needed to connect a little closer with the communities around us and Nextdoor are working to create a kinder place for people to have a neighbourhood that they can rely on. Tap into your neighbourhood at nextdoor.co.uk or download the app from your app store. It's telling the whole story beyond being a mother or whatever it might be, but spending the time to gather information and, and share that story so that we buy into these clubs and teams and beyond the big pinnacle events that happen, but week to week, we support and understand what these athletes are going through because it's exactly the same as, as the male athletes Hello, I'm Rebecca Roberts. Hi, I'm Harriet Small. Welcome to Have You Got Five Minutes, the PR, comms and marketing podcast answering things you'd normally have asked about at an event or while making a brew in the office. This episode, we're bringing you something special. We're chatting to Sue Anstis, um, who's kindly agreed to be one of our finale week guests. We're joined by Sue Anstis, a pioneer of women's sport for the past 30 years, a founding trustee of the Women's Sport Trust and co-founder of the Women's Sport Collective. Sue established Fearless Women last year and is host of the successful Game Changers podcast. Sue has worked in sports marketing and PR throughout her career and this year launched her book Game On, The Unstoppable Rise of Women's Sport. Sue, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, it's lovely. Really lovely to be here. Um, Women's sport feels like it's had a tough journey to push through from a commercial perspective. We're starting to see sponsors and broadcasters sort of step things up. What do you think has led to this shift? Yeah, I think there's lots of reasons I think I think in the past perhaps there wasn't always the data and insight around the value that women's sport provided and we've definitely seen more of that recently the likes of Nielsen and others coming forward to show sponsors what they'll get from women's sport versus men's sport and in some cases actually brands are looking for more purpose-driven associations and uh, more engagement with fans we're definitely seeing that women's sport gives them that so I think just having some of that data and I've just I had a little sneak peek actually of some research coming out in the next couple of weeks from um, the space between agency looking at uh, fans of men's sports and, and fans of women's sport and what they take from their sponsors and actually they're much more likely fans of women's sport much more likely to recommend and remember and buy the products of sponsors of women's sport feel more of an affinity so I think we're seeing more and more of that as I said that's kind of data coming through and I think just probably the quality of the product it's that whole cycle isn't it of more investment in sport more professional contracts better coverage in terms of the media and the production value so I think everything is coming together that's making sponsors feel actually yeah fantastic opportunity and should be doing more and and the likes of Barclays and Vitality and others sort of setting the example and then others sometimes I know many the brands are waiting to see someone else do it first before they step forward so I think we've definitely seen seen more of that too. Is all money good money is there an ethical sponsorship challenge with women's sport do you think? That's a fantastic question (laughs) something quite dear to my heart I definitely feel you know and as my personal response as well as the generally for the for a women's sports space but I definitely feel around the gambling space I, I you know I that's something I don't feel comfortable with in terms of the amount of money especially in football that's that's in the sport and I'd love to feel that women's sport can do it differently that doesn't have to follow the same path as men's sport there is an opportunity and there are so many sponsors that may never sponsor men's sport but would be really interested in women's sport too so I think there's an opportunity for us to sort of not reinvent 
want it because actually there are some sponsors that would want to sponsor both but an opportunity not just to have to follow the path that men's sport has gone and I have heard as well there are you know more issues in terms of not just on the gambling from the negativity for those lives it damages but also from the you know unethical in terms of the betting and the disruption it can cause especially within women's sport because there's less money in women's sport so there may be a tendency for more of that corruption to evolve too so yeah that would be one area that I'd like to see it done differently but I think so much sports sponsorship it's always hard to dictate whether it's alcohol or whether it's you know high fat foods whatever it is to dictate what it is it's going to be in sport but I don't think women's sport has to sort of follow the same path I think that's a really good point actually about like learning from kind of mistakes or just doesn't have to be exactly the same model there's really a frustrating gambling aware advert at the moment and it sort of almost makes it like normalizing the fact you would gamble on sport and it just I find it really uncomfortable I've got young kids that watch sport and you just think I can't believe this is okay like you don't get this in other countries it's just bizarre isn't it yeah no it is and I, and I almost feel anyway for me I just say you don't get me started we could do a whole podcast on that really but I do feel it's almost like the elephant in the room we're just all ignoring it and walking around it and thinking that it's fine that these ads that are on sport then end up on electronic games that our kids are watching and yeah that whole stop when the fun stops like really I, you know like blaming the user rather than actually thinking <laughs> we're pushing it down their throats in this way too yeah so I feel quite strongly about that and I will talk a little bit more about Lewis FC later I'm sure but I, I think actually all that they're doing and, and showing a way forward that doesn't have to have gambling money involved is really exciting and I hope that other women's sport can follow suit. From a PR perspective the landscape's changing as well so Telegraph Women's Sport certainly mainstream sport coverage has become more diverse but we still see all white male rugby panels regularly and column inches are still smaller and definitely in the Olympics I think if I heard the phrase Helen Glover is a mother of three <laughs> I'd have just imploded because I just felt really frustrated that, that was like yes it's part of her but it's not she's also an incredible athlete what do you think is needed in the media to to really better develop women's sport narrative I do think that especially in print media probably more so more change needed perhaps than in broadcast at the moment but I do think that will always be a challenge while you've got those mainly white middle-aged male sports editors some who do an amazing job and have done a job and some two champion women's sport but they go with what they know and actually you know as you know not telling anything you don't know but it's not just in terms of the journalists it's in t- it's the researchers it's what they then choose to edit you know who they're sending out to events and so on so I think all those decisions feed into just never really giving women's sport the equal coverage that it deserves and that people want and until they do that and invest in that then we won't see the fan base growing too so I do think it's a structural piece and those staff roles people stay a long time in those roles too so I'm not looking for people to be ousted from their jobs but I think that change takes a while to come through and however brilliant those female journalists are I sometimes think there's an issue also that female journalists come on and we put them on female sport but we think it's only the women that can write about women's sport and actually why shouldn't men be writing about women's sport and learning about women's sport so I think that there's a little bit of a challenge there sometimes and and similarly with the amazing stuff that uh, Anna and Vicky and others are doing at Telegraph I worry a little bit about that it getting siloed so like oh we've done women's sport that's fine that's in the women's sport section but it's not on, in the mainstay so I love what the Telegraph I love seeing Tom Gary and some of the men writing on the big women's issues and that being across the paper um, he's just one example because he's come to mind he's written a lot in the last few days but I think that's really positive too so I think it needs to it's not just like women writing for women which is historically where we've been in the past we're starting to see more roles within the sports sector dedicated to PR for women 
marketing teams. So for example, the RFU recently recruited for a marketing manager to manage the women's sport. But what else do clubs and national governing bodies need to be doing? Yeah, it is investment. I think a lot of it comes, you know, sadly back to investment. I had a lovely conversation with Beth about while actually following the 100, the success of 100 this summer for women's sport. And she was saying, you know, oh, look, we invested in marketing and we spent money and great production and put the women front and centre and free to air coverage. And oh, look, no surprise, lo and behold, it's huge. And it's not that it's not in its simplicity, but actually it's not that difficult, is it? Invest in it. And, and I think your question in terms of what the clubs and rights holders can do, there was a lovely example this weekend, I think it was around Bristol Bears and the, we all know from the rugby point of view, from the uh, Premier 15s and, you know, the, the Bristol Bears calling out the media for not writing enough about women's rugby. And then one of the journalists saying, actually, if you look at the Bristol Bears website, you've got all these bios of all the men and then women have got no bios. So it makes it really hard for the media to then write about. So I think the clubs and the rights holders can do more to provide that content and to invest in it. But a lot of the time it does come down to marketing spend and, and who's in your team and how they're briefed too. And, I'm, you know, similarly this weekend with the WSL, you know, the likes of Arsenal and Man United, you know, not pushing their women's players through their social media or was it Man United had 30 articles on the homepage and one mentioned that the women were playing in the WSL that evening so I think and the tone of it you know I think the Arsenal Twitter had kind of comments around it you know there's no Premier League this weekend but you can still yeah it's like never mind it's a double head you know or there's opportunities equal opportunities I think it's the tone it's the language but primarily I think a lot of it will come down to investment and spending the time and also they're coming from a place where perhaps they haven't got that content the bios more needs to be invested almost over invested at the stage in order to build up that knowledge and content that they can share with media we talk a fair bit about sports on this podcast because we both love it and um, we're both passionate about the game and the media around the game but also a common point for a lot of our guests who have been on the show is the backlash and challenge online that women get as female journalists and female social media managers and female sports commentators so for example the backlash that Sonia McGoughlin had or um, maybe the backlash that Florence had recently the BBC presenter do you think this is putting some women off working in the sector yeah, I don't think it helps for sure. I, I love the fact that I see so many female journalists, whether it, you know, Susie Rack and Katie White, that support each other, that they'll big up other people's articles. And for, even though they're not wait, working for the same publication, they celebrate and share and Rebecca Myers at the Times. And so that's always very reassuring and positive. And I think the more that we can all do that to like and retweet and, and celebrate. And um, obviously, you, you mentioned I'm involved with the Women's Sport Collective. So I'm hoping that through the collective, we've got a lot of comms and PR women working within sport within that group. And again, to know someone's got your back and you're supported and but I, I, you know I don't want to gloss over it actually it is a really big issue and I think there's a lot that the clubs and rights holders can do to call out those so-called fans or you know people on social media too so I think there's a lot that can be done but in answer to your question I'm sure it does put people off but I would like to hope it doesn't and you know it's harder perhaps when you're younger to deal with that at the beginning of your career you think why would I go that path and put myself up to the abuse but hopefully things are changing and I, th- and I do believe in you know the more people the more voices the more you know male allies and others calling it out and supporting it then that will definitely make a difference moving forward too. You talked to trailblazers in women's sport on your podcast you've spoken to some amazing people what have you learned 
about yourself while recording the podcast? I guess from a very personal point of view, I think a bit of it's that stepping outside your comfort zone and recording, you know, as you are here now with yours too, but recording a podcast. And, you know, as you say, some of these are my absolute sporting heroines of the past, the Denise Lewis's and Jessica's Hills and so many. But, but so actually to speak to them and to be calm and have a lovely conversation with them sometimes takes being brave and stepping outside your comfort zone, not putting yourself out there, publishing it, having other people listen, and give feedback. So I think I've learned a lot of that side. I think in terms of what they've told me and what they've uh, achieved I just think so many of them have overcome so much crap it's about and I've done five series of Barclays looking at Villas women in football so I think especially on the football side that you know what those women have had to put up with to get to where they are today and I and I think their pride in you know they didn't go into it so many of them to be trailblazers but they have broken down barriers for other women and so I think that's that's the piece almost they've just gone and done what they felt was right but they've made them had a massive impact for others in the future so that's yeah I kind of love hearing about that and there's often a vacuum when it comes to profile of women's sport and I know Nielsen did some research on this for women in sport between kind of what happens at league and domestic level versus international competitions and often a debate to whether teams should see their female ML teams as one rather than separate entities like you mentioned Arsenal and that tweet it was literally just the language used it was just so frustrating at the weekend but you know you've recently joined the, the board of um, Lewis FC who say they're the first team in the world to treat their male and female players the same so tell us a bit more about that and why you think that you know, whether this coach could be embraced more broadly. Yeah, I think the thing for Lewis is, and I, I used to say, oh, they pay their male and female players equally. And actually, it's so much more than payment that it is around all decisions that's around investment in marketing, their access to the pitch, uh, you know, for, for playing and training, the co- level of coaches that they've got. So it's the whole package. And I think that's the piece that's really important that obviously pay is part of that, but it's everything else that goes with that too. And I, and I think, you know, the exciting thing for Lewis is if in the next season or next, we can move up to the, we look, I'm talking about we already and I've only been on the board for a week but move up to the WSL then it's almost really getting the chance to showcase what they've done and the difference it's made you know that that's really exciting it's not just what Lewis are doing but that they can be an example for other clubs in other sports too that actually if you put your women equal to the men it will bring in a bigger crowd and they've they've already seen the return in terms of trebling the crowds coming to match days getting new sponsors on board that have come on because of their support of the women's game and you know and the the way that the men have embraced that too the male coaches and the male players as well so I think it's uh, Lewis they want to change the world from the south coast but I think just that community owned having purely fan owned only fans that are you know making decision and having that influence so hopefully to become eventually the biggest and most fan owned club in the world ultimately but firstly in, in the UK is the goal and that's really exciting to be a part of that but I, yeah I think the bigger piece for me is what that does to show people globally across different sports of what could be done if you just choose to do the right thing really and have equality across your club I think it's really interesting from a supporter perspective like I've been to a Man City game it was the first match I took the kids to actually a women's game and it was held deliberately just before the men's game and a lot of people were going to both and we spoke to one family that were taking you know that said it's more affordable we'll do this and then we'll take them to another match and it's that whole thing about supporting the club and everything that club represents not just I support this one singular team because just as we support you know the England's men's team you would you'd want the Englands and 21s to do well I just I think sometimes we've differentiated it so much from a club perspective I quite like that idea that you would have a 
a whole fan approach and I think it grows sport. yeah and it's, it's interesting isn't it so I think like clubs like Man City with the same city same passion you know you're a fan of the club you're a fan of football you'd be a fan of the women's game too that is fantastic I think it's when we we then need to see that demonstrated truly across social media across marketing across the investment across so sometimes I think it's the and not this isn't Man City I'm picking on here at all but sometimes I think there's lovely headlines if we do these things but actually how does that really work out in terms of contracts and S&C and the, all the other pieces that go around that too so it's great to hear and I think part of our role are we as spectators as fans is to call the brands out and that's what I've, I've been it's quite enjoyed seeing across social media around this weekend with the with Premier 15s and the WSL is actually people saying well that's not right that's you know and whether it's the media doing it but also just general people within the sector calling it out too because the clubs can't keep ignoring you know what's right definitely and what do you think brands and organizations can do better when it comes to marketing communications around in sport you know whether that's campaigns at participation level or elite are there some kind of key basics to get right do you think i think sometimes we're coming back to investment aren't we but actually spending the time to research to celebrate the role models and the, and the profiles and obviously a lot of the work i do on on the women's sport trust side is working through the unlocked campaign with you know female athletes to find their cause and to share all they're they're doing but working with people from business and media and sports to help them to, to activate that. So I do think that role models are so important. So that kind of investment in the role models. But as you said, it's telling the whole story beyond being a mother or whatever it might be, but spending the time to gather information and, and share that story so that we buy into these clubs and teams and beyond the big pinnacle events that happen. But week to week, we support and understand what these athletes are going through because it's exactly the same as, as the male athletes are too. And you're part of the RFU's diversity board. How is that going? And, and what? your thoughts so far being on the board yes yeah, really good it's, you know it's going to be good because it's led by Hugo Monnier so it can only be magnificent uh, and Giselle Mather's the vice chair too so no it's been really good uh, it's been tricky because we've been we've met we've only been a few months and we've met during zoom uh, on zoom across uh, covid but we did have met in person now twice at Twickenham and yeah some really good stuff and what's fantastic is the RFU are really behind it I guess that's a bit that it, it, it's not a PR exercise of just having us there as a body it does feel like they really want to uh, get adopt all that we are recommending and uh yeah i think some exciting things ahead and i'm i'm delighted that they do seem to be really serious about it and starting you know at the very top to to make difference that will ripple through the organization tell us a little bit about your book that is coming out and what can we expect from reading it so it was published last week it's on the 2nd of september and what why did i write it i think i think i just a lot of it came from the game changes actually so from interviewing all those amazing women for the podcast that was almost my initial plan for the book was to write a book about the game changes and then talking to agents and others I was not persuaded of because I think it was the right decision but to make it more of my journey to understand the history of why women's sport is where it is what's caused the fantastic growth that we're seeing now and what we can all do in the future to make sure that it continues so I think I've been thinking about this recently actually it's almost like I've written a book that I would like to have read 20 years ago so it's almost like the book for me if I could have picked that up when I was first starting in sports marketing and understood and had the arguments and understood that when you know someone does the whole oh you're not got the investment in women's sport because you just don't get the you know you haven't got the crowds coming we can't pay the same and all those inane much repeated rants around women's sport to have been able to have had the background and to be able to articulate why that actually isn't the case I would have liked to have had that so that's I feel a bit that's kind of one of the reasons for but I've been most delighted really by the response of men 
reading it and a number have already said it's it's really changed their lens on the way they look at sport and they perhaps hadn't seen in the past where that inequality was in terms of sports coverage or what they were doing as governing bodies and so on so that's been really really fantastic and I feel like it's it's been called a sort of manifesto for women's sport I think I'm getting lots of women buying it and buying it for daughters and so on and that's marvellous and wonderful but I also want people to buy it for their sons and for their partners and their husbands and I want them to read it too because ultimately that's where the change is going to come you know we can do so much ourselves but in terms of male allies and getting men on board as the decision makers that is what's going to really really have impact so yeah it's a book for everybody <laughs> so apart from telling people to read your book which obviously we'll do in Lincoln's what advice would you give to anyone who's looking to establish a career in marketing and PR within the sports sector? I'm all about networking, as you might gather from the Women's Sport Collective, but also, I guess, just across time, I think networking is so, so important and, and almost more so for women, I think, because sometimes it's hard going to industry events and so on as a female that you are sometimes a little bit outnumbered by men in the room. So I think creating and, and sustaining a strong network is, is a really great piece of advice. And I feel I have done that through my career, but for someone coming in now, I would definitely say that. I know there's a lot of talk about mentors and finding a mentor. I think sometimes that's tricky to almost find someone in that terminology of you are my mentor. You know, I get quite a lot of emails. Will you be my mentor? But actually just aligning yourself to women and following what they're doing and, and, and thinking about what you can offer too. I, you know, that's one of the key things for me in terms of building the network. Don't go and ask what you can have, but look at what you can offer, how you can immerse yourself in the field too. And, you know, I guess one of the biggest things I think that and I've always been on, I've been on LinkedIn probably, probably since the very beginning, but, but I've done a lot on LinkedIn in the last four or five years. And I think it's changed significantly in terms of what it offers and how it works. So I think having a presence on LinkedIn, sharing useful, interesting content, engaging other people I think that's a fantastic way to help yourself to be seen and to understand what the key issues are within sport but someone coming into sport now I would say immerse yourself in women's sport as well I think you know we're at the beginning stage and we're beginning to you know even in this last week haven't we you're seeing if you think about women's football obviously we've seen the sky but the zone deal in terms of Europe and then ITV and broadcasters are coming in the sponsors are coming in things are changing and moving so if I was someone coming into the sector now I'd be thinking actually let me go make myself a complete specialist in women's sport let me immerse myself in it that's you know I, I realize that the men's sport is the bigger opportunity but the future is going to be around women's sport and I think yeah coming into the sector now that's definitely something I would I would immerse myself in great I want to do my career again Harry yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well thanks so much for your time today that's a pleasure thanks for joining us and everything we've mentioned will be in the show notes we're talking about the questions and issues that matter to you so dm us on social or get in touch with harriet at commsovercoffee.com or myself rebecca at threadandfable.com if you enjoy the podcast please do rate review subscribe so others can find us and have five minutes with us find us on twitter at rebecca robert seven or at harriet smallsey Season two of Have You Got Five Minutes is brought to you in partnership with Nextdoor, the neighbourhood app that's used by one in seven households in the UK. This past 18 months, we've all needed to connect a little closer with the communities around us and Nextdoor are working to create a kinder place for people to have a neighbourhood that they can rely on. Tap into your neighbourhood at nextdoor.co.uk or download the app from your app store.